Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are beginning a new series today for the next eight weeks, Lord willing. Uh, You'll come to church and we'll talk about God every Sunday. So hope you're excited about that and uh, really looking forward to it in all seriousness. uh, This uh, series is titled Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Sermons on the Godhead. I thought we would do well. Uh, going into this summer to spend some time thinking, legitimately thinking about the Lord, to shore up our understanding of who God is and to see the way that our theology, what we believe about God, is connected to our practice, how we worship, how we respond, how we behave, how we respond to God. So I look forward to this series and I hope it'll be a blessing for you, even as it's already been a blessing to me in preparing to preach. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5. If you have your Bibles open there, would you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God? Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the fact that he has revealed the Father and the Spirit and himself to us through his work on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I have found myself at times confused by the doctrine of the Trinity. This belief we have that God is one uh, being and three persons, one essence and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It can be confusing. Sometimes it's a little frustrating. If you've ever met someone who thinks it sounds ridiculous to believe, in something that's one being and three persons, then you've maybe found yourself frustrated. Sometimes some folks, and I've learned this, some people feel like it's just a sort of theological cul-de-sac. It's, it's only inside baseball for those who want to sound important or sound smart or, or whatever else. Something just for theology students to argue over uh, before finals. Sometimes we can even be tempted to be embarrassed by the doctrine of the Trinity. Have you ever tried to witness to someone who is a monotheist who doesn't hold to the doctrine of the trinity a muslim or a jew or something like that you can almost find yourself embarrassed by the trinity kind of frustrated that you don't know more embarrassed by what they're saying but i want you to know that i believe that the doctrine of the trinity the teaching that god is one being in three persons i believe it's a reflection of who god is and an accurate reflection of who god is and therefore it ought to lead us not to frustration Not to embarrassment, but instead to delight and to worship. And part of what I hope we do as we study God and think through what it means for God to be three in one over the next several uh, Sundays is I hope and pray that as you learn and as you grow, you'll be less confused, you'll be less frustrated. I sure hope you won't be embarrassed. That's a goal of mine every time I preach. I don't want you to be embarrassed, you know. But I hope you won't be embarrassed of this doctrine. And ultimately, though, I hope and pray it will lead you to delight and worship in God. So often we forget this truth 
the text that we're looking at now, this teaching that God is one, is a foundational doctrine of the Trinity. It's important for us to understand that God is three in one. We must first understand that He is one. This is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. In fact, we learn in the Gospels that someone came up to Jesus, one of the scribes. We read this in Mark 12. He came up and he heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Oftentimes you'll hear it said, and I think this is accurate, that all of Christianity can be reduced down to the most important commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, there are stickers and t-shirts and everything else that say what? Love God, love people. And that is so important, and it is essential. But I think so often what we miss in Jesus telling us how we ought to act and how we ought to behave, is when he was asked what the most important commandment was, he didn't start with the commandment. Instead, he started with the theological proposition that comes before the commandment. What does he say first? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's the reality. We must know God if we are to obey God. We must know God if we are to love God. We, If we want to love God and love people, we can't start with loving God and loving people. We have to start with hearing and believing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This morning I want to show you three truths, three truths about the oneness of of God. Three truths that may even seem overly simplistic to you, but things we must be reminded of as we seek to know and to love God. Here's the first. There is only one God. There is only one God. I'm glad to see that nobody got up and left after I said that. You're, we're, you're in the right place if you're looking for a monotheistic church. Here you are. And uh, there is only one God. Another way to translate this first phrase, the Lord our God, is to even say the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. There are no other gods. It's important to recognize this. It's important to understand this. The, this thought is the bedrock of what it means for us to be people who believe in Christ. It's the bedrock of monotheism. Throughout the Bible, the truth that there is only God is taught explicitly, and it's assumed in all of the thought of Scripture. It was sung so beautifully just a few moments ago. Our God is God. And you may hear that line. It's interesting. I, I love that. Uh, 
anthem. Because as you're singing, I keep filling in words. Our God is glorious. Our God is love. Our God is wonderful. Our God is majestic. Our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. Don't you want to add a word there? But what does it say? Our God is God. And that's an important thing to be reminded of. That's an important thing to sing. It's especially important in a world where we recognize people believe in multiple gods. Now there are folks who will say we all believe in one God, but in reality, worship and serve another God. It's countercultural at this point to simply say that there is only one God and He has revealed Himself to us. There's nothing more offensive to people who truly believe and the God they worship like we do, then for someone to come to you and say something like, oh, it's all the same God anyway. It's offensive not only to us as Christians, but it's offensive to people of other religions as well. If you ever were to say to a Muslim that they worship the same God as a Christian, they would say, well, do you believe that God is, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet? And if you say no, they're going to be offended. That's not the same God. And if you don't believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you do not believe in the God of Christianity. It's countercultural then to simply say there is only one God and He has revealed Himself to us. That's even more countercultural and even controversial to recognize that truth claim and to live according to that truth claim that there is only one God. We have no other gods. Our God is God. But as we embark on the study of who God is, as the weeks roll on, we'll begin to delve deeper into what it means for God to be one being and three persons. And so I think it's important to recognize one of the most simple truths we can gather from this passage of Scripture that Jesus later quotes. It's this, we do not serve three gods. We do not serve three gods. I, I know you guys, probably most of you at least, grew up in Sunday school and think that almost sounds trite to say, but my friends, we need to recognize that we live in a world that's becoming less and less familiar with the Bible, and it's important for us to say that the doctrine of the Trinity does not contradict that there is only one God. You see, that there is only one God is the bedrock of this doctrine. So often we see a passage like this as a challenge to the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Oh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But what do we sing? God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. But my friends, this is not a contradiction to the doctrine of the Trinity. This is the foundation of the doctrine of the Trinity. This is the foundation of what it means for us to know and, and understand who God is rightly. We must understand that there is one God and we do not worship more than one God. It's another thing for us to keep in mind as Christians. It's a good reminder for us. There is one God because it reminds us and puts a check in our heart and spirit and reminds us that there are counterfeit gods that vie for our attention. There are idols afoot that vie for our attention. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite definitions of a counterfeit god or an idol is this: it's an idol if you'll sin to get it, and it's an idol if you'll sin if you don't. That's something you treasure more than you treasure the Lord. 
Ask yourself right now, what are those things which you're willing to sin to get or sin if you don't get it that are little counterfeit gods that have weaseled their way into your heart? What are the things that are making you cease to believe even if you wouldn't say it with your lips, but with your life, you are ceasing to believe that there is only one God? Not to be so careful. But we also need to remember a second truth. Not only is there only one God, but the second truth is this. The only God is one. There is only one God, and second of all, the only God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord's your God. The Lord is one. I want, to, I want you to do something with me for a moment, would you? Let's take a break from this sermon for a second. Amen. All God's people. Let's take a break from this sermon for a moment, and let's think about God. Think about God for just a moment. Can you, can you take a few minutes to think about God? What things pop in your mind when you think about God? What are the attributes of God? What, what, what are those attributes that belong only to God? What theologians call His incommunicable attributes. God is omnipotent, right? He's all-powerful. If I, if I wanted to turn this pulpit off the stage right now, it would take me a minute if I could do it at all. Yeah, it's going to take... I could do it, but it's going to take a second. My power is limited. It's sort of like uh, sometimes when you're a pastor and people say, can't you make your congregation do that? I said, no pastor can make their congregation do anything. And on top of that, mine's Baptist. Baptists don't enjoy being told things. We'll do anything if you ask them, though. I've learned that. God's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. I have to work hard to write a sermon just to know what needs to be said. God knows everything. In any given moment, He knows anything and everything. What else is God? What else is God? He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. Just yesterday, I had more than one plan. I had to leave one and go to the other and leave that one and go back to the other. I had to go to a different place. I can't be in more place in one more than one place at once. That and other things are things that belong only to God. As we just think about God for a moment. But there are other attributes God has that we He shares with us, His communicable attributes. One of the probably the first one you think about, I hope. Is what? God is love. First John tells us. God is love. Raise your hand if you have ever experienced love in the room. Yeah, we've all experienced love. At some level, we've been in love, we've experienced the love of another, we've seen love, we've known love. If you're a Christian, you certainly know love. We love, but we don't love perfectly, do we? You ever let anyone down that you love? I have. You ever disappointed someone you loved? Have you ever hurt somebody that you love? I've, I've hurt people I love before. It's a terrible feeling. But God loves perfectly. God's love knows no bounds. There are other communicable attributes God has. Mercy and grace and love. God is just and we're imperfectly just, but God is perfectly just. God is all these things. And then you take all those things that we are in part and you recognize God is infinite in all these things. 
God is powerful, but He's infinitely powerful. God is love, but He's infinitely loving. God is just, but He's infinitely just. It knows no bounds. He never grows impatient. He never grows tired. He is always all of these things in infinitude. And as I said last week, with compounding interest, the bank never runs dry. But on top of that, God is also perfect in all these things. It's one thing to have a a precious stone that's very large, that's in shape and size. It's another thing for it to have amazing clarity Purity. God is infinite in size, but also infinite in His perfection. There is no blemish in God. There is no lack in God. God is perfect in all these things. And when we take all these things together, we look at God and realize that's what God is like. And theologians call this God's essence. There's being. All that it means for God to be God is God's being or essence. It's what I like to call the Godness of God. It's what I think about when I sing those words. Our God is God. All the perfection and infinity of God contained within Himself. And you look at all those things together and you realize that's who God is. And while we describe all of these things in different words and in different ways, we nonetheless recognize there is a simplicity to who God is. God's not split up like a little pie. All of that is who God is at His core in His very being. And these are all descriptions and ways we understand the indivisible nature of God that's in itself simple. And so when the Bible says the Lord is one, we recognize He has one being, one essence. All that it means for God to be God is true of the Father. And all that it means for God to be God is true of the Son. And all that it means for God to be God is true of the Holy Spirit. And they are united. That's another thing we recognize when we read that the Lord is one. This teaches us that there's no division in the will or the essence of God. There's never disagreements. There's never a two-to-one vote in the life of God. It is always perfect unity in who God is. As we continue to think about, to learn about, to grow deeper into our knowledge of God, it's so important to keep this truth in mind. The Lord is one. My friends, there's only one God. The only God is one. And finally, the only, the only God deserves our all. God deserves our all. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. My friends, what we've talked about here, that there is only one God, that He's infinitely glorious, is the bedrock for what it means for us to love and serve God. If we want to know Him, if we want to love Him, if we want to serve Him, we have to recognize who He is first. My friends, if we start with what we ought to do, our roots will be rooted in us and our works and what we can do. But we have to begin with who God is and what God has done, and then our roots will grow deep down into God. That's the purpose of theology. That's the purpose of knowing God. Theology begets doxology knowing god leads to worshiping god you see the beauty of this love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength 
we tend to want to kind of tease these things out. And there's certainly shades of meaning in each of these, but it's a shorthand way to talk about your whole person. In other words, this is shorthand for love the Lord your God with everything you've got. There's nothing you've got that you don't need to love God with. There's nothing you've got that you can't trust God with. Think about this. Think about loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Have, have, have you ever had your heart broken? You don't have to raise your hand, but I've, I've had my heart broken before. And some of us, after our heart's been broken, what do we do? We sort of retreat back. We sort of shell up and we decide we're going to guard our heart. We're going to kind of keep our heart from folks because our heart's been broken. What if I told you you can trust God with all your heart? You don't have to hold anything back from him he's worthy of that do you see who he is he's infinite in love he's infinite in all these perfections he'll he'll never treat you in a way that's wrong or evil he will always have your good in mind he will always be just you can trust him with all your heart you can trust him with all your soul we're tempted i think to find sort of alternate views of spirituality to kind of tack on and add on to our christianity but my friends you can trust the God of the Bible, the one God, the united God, you can trust Him with all your soul. You don't have to go look for alternate spirituality. You don't have to do sort of Jesus plus tarot or whatever sort of spirituality you want to go find. Jesus plus Buddhism or Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. In fact, you should, you ought to, you're commanded to trust Him with everything you've got. He's enough for your soul. You don't have to go anywhere else. Go deeper into Him. For your spiritual needs. With all your strength. So, I'm not old. Unless you're of a certain age, you might think I'm old. Somebody in the room just now was like, it's so cheeky to say you're not old or something. But whatever, I'm not old. (laughs) I'm not old, but I'm getting older. Figuring that out. And there comes a time in your life, I'm 36, I'm thinking, man, I'm like, my strongest days are probably in the past. My, my, my days of physical strength are, I'm probably on the downhill slide. I can't remember exactly when they say that starts happening, but I'm pretty sure I'm there. Based on science and anecdotal evidence from my very own life, pretty sure I'm on the downhill slide here. We all sort of worry about wasting our golden years the most precious years of strength but you can give your best years to the lord there are folks that are tempted in their young years graduates to go sow their wild oats and 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 use some of their best years while they still have time to do this or to do that you can give god your best years you can give god your years of strength they won't be wasted they won't be wasted i got married and i was in ministry when i was 22 years old my wife is 21 and i don't look back and say man oh man if i only had those years back i look back and say thank you god for giving me good years good years he's worthy of all your might all your strength you don't have to worry about wasting precious years of strength when you give them to the lord there's this idea from a few years ago people used called fomo fear of missing out we've all felt it we've all known it But this truth of who God is means there's nothing to miss out on. The Lord is our God and the Lord is one. 
There's no other God to go looking for. There's no other reality to try to search out. We have one God and He is one and He is infinitely glorious in Himself and He offers Himself to us freely. We can go to Him and Him alone. We don't have to worry if we're missing out on something else. We don't have to look elsewhere to find other gods. The Lord is our God. There is no other God. We don't have to worry about things changing in the life of the Godhead, about division or change, because the Lord is one. He's perfectly united forever and ever and ever. And this is why God is worthy of everything you've got. You don't have to hold anything back from Him. You should give everything to Him. You should love Him. You should respond to Him in worship with everything you've got, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength you hear it? Do you see it? Do you see what God offers? I hope you'll receive it by faith today.